0: Good morning. To you grab your Bibles, we're going to be on a uh, sword drill. Anybody remember what those were? Sword drills? All right. Yeah. I'm not going to make you put the Bible above your head and say, go and start searching, but we are going to go through quite a few scriptures. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Uh, some of the guys in the back will bring one to you. Got some back there? Awesome. Okay. Uh, while you're grabbing the Bibles, um, I hope you all had a Merry Christmas. Hope you had a good time together with family and friends. Hope the flu bug and sickness didn't invade all of your homes. I know some families sort of had to deal with that over Christmas. Hope you didn't have too much sugar and too many sweets or too much other stuff that sort of put you in a little uh, holiday comatose stage of you know what I'm saying. I hope you had an awesome and great Christmas. And as we head into the new year, the same thing this coming week. More celebration, more happiness, more joy, more fun times ahead, so pace yourself, people, okay? Uh, You come in the next Sunday morning like completely knocked out from all the holiday celebration. Um, We have much to be thankful for, so when we gather here on Sunday morning, we get to celebrate these wonderful events, these holidays, but we get to celebrate even more, as hopefully the video sort of introduced. We celebrate a savior, not just a child that was born, but a savior. And um, I was looking at, you know, this past month, various movies that come across tv and usually about late at night sort of settle down, try to watch a movie, fall asleep halfway through it. Uh, but there's some Christmas classics that we're on. Some of you, you know, enjoy Elf or Christmas Story or, you know, It's a Wonderful Life if you want to keep heading back that direction. The first time the movie with uh, Tim Allen came out, Santa Claus, the first one, I think there's three, who knows, it's, it's like Home Alone, they just keep building, or Die Hard, they just keep building on, right? Um, it was the very first one in the movie Santa Claus. Uh, Tim Allen plays the part of Scott Calvin, okay? Um, he's a divorced husband, his son gets together on Christmas Eve, and they spend some time together, but they find Santa on their roof, so he goes outside and I guess he sort of scares Santa and Santa falls off the roof and uh, he goes over and Scott finds a note in his suit and the reindeer up on the roof and he, son, hops up, up on the sleigh so he grabs the Santa's outfit that's laying there. And uh, next thing you know, basically Scott inherits Santa's position. A natural fit, same initials, right? Scott, Calvin, Santa Claus, SC, right? Okay. Well, that very night, Scott travels all over the world delivering gifts and toys, uh, and he ends up at the North Pole at the end of the night, and here he discovers he's a new Santa Claus. This is your new identity. He did not accept that new identity. He wakes up the next morning back home, business as usual, life goes on. Whatever happened last night, it must have been just a dream, right? But his son says, no, Dad, you're, you're the real Santa Claus. You're the real deal. Dad's like, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna believe this new identity, right? But suddenly, Scott's appearance begins to change. All of a sudden, he starts gaining some weight and he, his uh, physical identities along with the weight and a beard and, and his hair turns gray and even chuckles a little bit like Santa. But in part of the movie, uh, as it goes along, it's sort of humorous as you watch, but there's a, where, there's a place where it takes a turn in the movie. It's this point in time that Scott Calvin realizes who he is in the movie, right? He didn't get it, so he didn't believe it. And as a result of that, he didn't live it. Let me say it again. He didn't get it, so he didn't believe it. Therefore, he didn't live it. Remember that phrase, okay? So finally, he's sort of looking into this, this snowball, sort of a crystal ball, but he looks in the snowball, and he realizes, I am the true Santa Claus. Something he probably knew inside, yet he refused to acknowledge. So from this point on in the movie, he gets it. He starts to believe it, and now he starts living it out. He lives out this new identity that he has. Now, I like this part uh, of the the, the, the movie just because it reminded me a lot of my faith. And I'll, I'll explain why. Because it was all about identity. See, Scott Calvin, in the movie... His new identity was Santa Claus. But again, he didn't get it. He didn't believe it, so he didn't live it out. But once he understood his true identity, once he got it, he started to believe it, and he started to live it. Let me ask you about your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you get it? Do you believe it? Are you living it out? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a new identity. Do you get it? Do you believe it? Do you live it out? I want to make sure that's crystal clear as we head into this new year. Uh, so Again, I, I, it took me back to many years ago, and I'll just say this about myself, okay? You see, I'm Rex Stump. I was born in Indiana. I have four brothers, one sister, father and a mother. I asked Jesus into my life when I was about seven years old. I was baptized soon after that in my church, and then it wasn't until 8th grade, when I went to a camp, that I finally started to understand a little bit more about faith. Even though I grew up in the church, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, missionary conferences, whatever it was, the doors were open and we were there. Grandpa was a pastor for 60 years. Dad was an elder, a deacon, he was, you know, a trustee. Whatever, you know, he got done serving one term, he went into another term somewhere else in the church, volunteering. Mom was a Sunday school teacher, super, or Sunday school superintendent for years. I mean, that's just what we did. Awana, yep, we all served in Awana. We all were part of Awana. Whatever was going on, we were there. But it wasn't until I got to college that I got it, that I believed it, that I started living out my identity. It wasn't until I got to college that I understood this is what it means to be a Christian. Okay? For almost my whole life, I never really knew what it was to actually be a Christian. See, I knew what it was to be a good old Baptist boy. I got that. I got that one down really good, okay? And it wasn't until somebody said, who are you? Down inside, who are you? That I began to search and ask questions. See, some of you right now, especially junior high and high school, the one thing I always feared about, for the, especially our, our teenagers, is that when they go off to college, they no longer have the identity of the church, or their family to help them in their faith. They're on their own. In a new, in a new world, if, especially if they head off to college, with all kinds of temptations and philosophies and theologies floating out there, what do they believe? I'm telling you right now, what's out there is a lot different than what we believe when we come together. And so I have to ask those questions. Who am I? So it was about 15 years ago during youth group when I was sitting there with a bunch of junior high and senior high students, that the kids said, they started asking me, what does it mean to be a Mennonite or a Baptist or a Lutheran? And they were, they were really frustrated because our youth group at that time had kids coming from different churches in the community. They came together on Wednesday night and they hung out. And they were asking all these questions. I said, Rex, you grew up in a Baptist church. You serve at a Mennonite church. You cheer for a Catholic team. And it's like, you're a little confused, aren't you, Rex? I said, man, yeah, that sounds sort of weird, doesn't it? So we talked about how frustrating it is to be labeled by terms. Because when you're a Baptist, people look at you a certain way. When you're a Mennonite or a Catholic, people look at you a certain way. People wonder about you. What about those people that go to Crossroads or North Clinton or St. Caspars or First Christian or Oasis or Trinity? First Church of God. You know, what about those people? Because you see, whenever somebody comes up and approaches, hey, where do you go to church? You sort of look, oh, you go to that church. What does that imply? There's a label there, isn't there? Hmm. It frustrated me. Because people were telling me who I was because of where I worshipped God. And I sort of saw those two things as separate. The location of my worship and who I am, Were are they really the same thing? And they labeled me, assumed that this is the kind of person I was. So I had to ask myself, who am I? who am I as a Christian? If you've not asked that question, you need to ask yourself that question today. You need to clearly be able to define who you are as a Christian. Otherwise, you're not going to live out your identity, your true identity, as a believer in Jesus Christ. You can be living one thing, thinking one thing, but not really doing that. Labels, elder, pastor. You know it's sort of funny? I don't know how you guys all survived Christmas I really don't because I wasn't at your house to help pray for your meal it's a funny thing we go to our family get together it's like well who's gonna pray Rex he's the pastor I'm thinking oh yeah I'm the pastor I gotta pray what's gonna happen with the rest of our church family poor people you all, you couldn't eat none of you ate on Christmas because nobody could pray because you didn't have the pastor there it's a crazy thing you're the pastor so you gotta pray okay well it's a good thing you all know how to pray Okay, You survived, I believe. I don't know if you knew this, but Moses, you go back to the book of Exodus. Matter of fact, let's open up the book of Exodus. The second book in the Bible, Genesis and Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses, boy, he, you talk about identity crisis. What he's trying to figure out who he was. He asked this question. Exodus chapter 3. The first of many pages to turn to. Exodus chapter 3 verse 11. If you remember this scene, Moses sees this burning bush and he goes up in front of this burning bush and it's God, you know, sort of uh, presenting himself through this burning bush. It's not really burning up. He removes the sandals. He's on holy ground and the voice of God comes from the bush and He's having this conversation and god's basically telling him you're going to go into egypt and you're going to take my people I've, I've heard their cries i've heard their murmuring i've heard them and and it is now time to release them from their bondage and moses you're the one that's going to do it and god's talking to him and look at verse 11 first thing that comes out of the lips of moses after god says go i'm sending you verse 11 who am i to appear before pharaoh how can you expect me to lead the Israelites out of Egypt? What's the first thing he says? Who am I to do this? A little identity crisis going on here. Who am I? Of all the excuses Moses had, this was the first one. Who am I? It's at this point in time, Moses had to do a little bit of soul searching. Yeah, who am I? That God would pick me. That God would choose me to do something mighty and big. It was at this point in time in my life that I started doing some soul-searching, too. Because it was in college, I really loved the character of Moses, who he, who he is, who he was, and his leadership. And, and I'm always pulled to learning about leadership from Moses. But I found myself having to do the same thing. Who am I? Who am I? As a Christian, as a believer in one God, the God of this universe, God, our Heavenly Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ, and then His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. I believe fully in God's Word, and the Bible, and what it says. So who am I with all that belief? My identity matters. See, if I don't get it, if I don't believe it, guess what? I'm not going to live it out. But if I get it, if I believe it, I will live it out. When I see people not living it out, my first thought is they don't get it. Because if you really got it, you would believe it and you would live it out. And if you're not getting it, then you're not going to be fully believing it and you're not going to live it out, right? So here's my answer. As we sat around with those teenagers and we're sitting there and we're asking all these questions, I thought about it for a while because I'd pondered with it back from college to then. And we ended up getting some paint. And in that youth room on the doorpost, of it, of I wrote this. I am a child of God. Period. That was it. I'm a child of God. I'm not Baptist, I'm not Lutheran, I'm not Catholic, I'm not the pastor or youth pastor or elder. I am a child of God. That's my identity, that's my title, that's who I am. I'm His child. My religious title and background, you know what that does? That gives a description of me and my occupation. That gives a description of a position that I am in. But who am I? I'm a child of God. Let me ask you this. Are you? Can you answer that the same way? Are you a child of God? Can you answer that? If someone were to ask you, who are you? What do you believe? How do you reply? Well, I go to True North. No, 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 that's the location of your worship. That's a part of body believers that you associate yourself with and worship. But who are you? Do you realize that you've been adopted into an incredible family? You know, the wind sinks understand adoption immensely, don't you? There's others in you that understand adoption. It's pretty incredible. My uh, My nephew, his wife has a sister, and I didn't know this till just recently Um, and her sister was adopted in her family when she was really little and she's deaf so she needs sign language to communicate you know the amazing thing is as I watched them at our get-together this past week as she would sign and I can't even do it so I don't even know why I'm using my hands I have no clue okay I watched her sign to her sister and it was really neat and then I looked at my nephew I didn't think he I didn't I didn't think I could write. But anyway, um, he started to do some sign language with her as well. I was like, how long have you known how to sign? A few years. I'm I'm not really good at it. And then I asked um, his wife. I said, how long have you been signing? Well, ever since we adopted her, I started to learn. And now she's a teenager, okay? And so she's been signing for 10, 12 years, okay? And she said, but here's the sad part that really hurt, Okay. Her parents that adopted her basically adopted her and then shipped her off to a school for the deaf. They've never learned sign language. Parents that adopted this little girl don't even communicate with her. That doesn't make sense to me. That's not love. But I'm watching a sister communicate out of love. And, And this is the way our family works. So like my mom and dad who you know, they welcome everybody in, so even she was just coming for the day, they go to the bank, and whatever money they're giving the other grandkids, they give to her too. Just welcome her in like she's part of the family. And I am sitting there going, that's adoption. I, I, I don't know you, but th- I'm, today I'm bringing you into my family, and I'm going to treat you just like my child. And that was a better picture, I thought, of adoption than the actual adoption that took place in their family. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. That's in the New Testament now, okay? Go past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts and Romans. You get past 1 Corinthians, you're going to get into some small books, and you can find the book of Ephesians there. And the book of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, is an incredible verse. As I was going through this then, this whole, I want to say identity crisis, okay, it wasn't really a crisis, but as I figured out my identity, here's the thing, we're celebrating the birth of a child who becomes our Savior. I can truly say He is my Savior, and if He's my Savior, I need to understand who I am in relation to Jesus Christ, the one who has saved me, and I want you to understand that too, because as we move into January in the next sermon series that we get into, we're going to uh, sort of explore uh, what it's like uh, for Jesus to walk in our life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 says this, God decided it in advance, okay? Listen, his unchanging plan, I love that, has always been to adopt us into his family. That was God's plan from the start. I want to adopt you into my family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. There's no way we can be a part of God's family without Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not born. We're not adopted into the family. We're adopted through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. Did you see that last part of the verse? This is what he wanted to do because it brought him great pleasure. You know, we could think of all kinds of things that we experience and we say, oh, that's so pleasurable. I love it. Pleasure is a good feeling, right? That's why it's pleasurable. You know what's pleasurable to God? Adopting us into his family. Imagine that. Not only am I a child of God, I'm completely forgiven. Not only am I being adopted into his family, I'm completely forgiven when I accept that. Look with me now to the book of Colossians. So you're, you're in um, Ephesians. Move forward in your Bible past Philippians and to Colossians. Colossians chapter one, verses thirteen and fourteen, say says this: For he's rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness. He's brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and forgiven all of our sins he's rescued us he's purchased our freedom he's forgiven our sins if you, if you think about this that whole purchasing thing that's a releasing affected by payment of ransom so for all of you that love those crazy movies action movies okay You've been kidnapped by Satan. And Jesus is going to pay the ransom to free you. That helps put it into a better picture. Jesus pays that ransom not with a lot of money, but with his life. So that you can be free. So you can be rescued. So you can be forgiven. Released from bondage and imprisonment. Forgiveness or pardon of sins. That's letting them go as if they've never been committed. So not only am I adopted by God through Jesus Christ, He also forgives me. He's rescued me with a ransom that I couldn't pay. Colossians 1.27. Move forward a few verses. Look at verse 27. For it's pleased God to tell His people that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. For this is the secret. Oh, I shouldn't have said that so loud. It's a secret, right? This is a secret. Christ lives in you. And this is your assurance that you will share in his glory. I, I love this. God wanted to know the riches, the glories for the Gentiles too. Not just for the Jews, but for Gentiles, for everybody, okay? And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. See, if, if you... Our believer in Jesus Christ, you understand that you've been adopted into his family. You've been rescued from darkness. He paid the ransom. And now it says Christ lives in you. Did you hear that? Jesus entered your life. It's an amazing thing. Everybody entered into the stable to worship him. The wise men entered into the house to worship him. And Jesus says, I want to enter into you. See, we have real hope for change. You know why? Because God's Spirit is actively living in us. We have real hope for change. I can't change this. I can't break this habit. I'm struggling with it. Yes, you can, because Christ lives in you. Please don't tell me that you can't beat this. You can, because Christ lives in you. Now I'm going to ask you to turn to a book. A lot of you in there probably, you know, even myself, I don't look at a lot. But way in the back, it's called Titus. So go from Colossians, keep heading towards the back. Past 1 and 2 Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy, you're going to get to Titus. We're going to look at chapter 3. let we'll to start in verse 3. Once we too were foolish and disobedient. Yep, exactly, that's, that's us. We were that way. Some of us, you know, we still can be that way, right? We are misled by others. We became slaves to a lot of wicked desires and evil pleasures. Sin does that, right? Our lives were full of evil and envy. Man, we hated others. They hated us. Look at this, verse 4. But then God, our Savior, showed us his kindness and love. He saved us, not because of the good things we did, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins. He gave us new life. Let me hear you say new life. He gave us new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us because of what Jesus Christ, our Savior, did. He declared us not guilty because of his great kindness. And now we know that we will inherit eternal life. See, I'm a child of, of God. I've been adopted into his family. I am forgiven. The wrong things that I do are forgiven by God. And I don't have to live feeling guilty about my life anymore. I'm not a terrible sinner. I'm a saint. How many times have you heard, now don't raise your hand on this, how many times have you heard somebody in church or somewhere say, I'm a sinner saved by grace? Wrong identity, wrong title. That might be true. What happened? You were a sinner and you were saved by grace, but that's not your title. You are a saint. I'm a saint. I know, you know, some of you like the NFL. You might watch uh, certain teams you cheer for, and none of you would probably claim to be a New Orleans Saint fan. I get that, okay? But if we had a jersey to wear as a church, it would be the saints. We would wear the saints because we are saints. You think, wait a minute, aren't those those little statues we worship and we bury in our front yard to sell our house? Isn't that one of those saints, right? Please don't tell me if you've done that, okay? They, those were, you know, maybe titled those saints... But let me, I'm not going to have you turn there, okay? But I think we have a slide for these next three scriptures. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, Philippians 1.1, 1, 1, and Colossians 1.2. Whenever Paul started out a letter, he would write the letter to the people of the church. You, okay? And this is what he said. This letter's from Paul, chosen by God. That's me, an apostle to Jesus Christ. Again, Paul's explaining this. He goes, written to God's holy people. Translation, saints in the Greek. Whenever Paul wrote these letters, this letter's from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to all of God's holy people, saints. Colossians 1, 2. We are writing to God's holy people, saints, in the city of Colossus. All these scriptures, whenever he wrote, holy gods, holy people, guys, those were saints. Our term, our names, saints. We're saints. Some like, oh, I'm not a saint. Some of you parents are looking at your kids and going, they aren't saints. Okay. Yes, they are. Through the blood of Jesus Christ and their belief, yes. Through adoption, yes. Through the forgiveness of sins, yes. You have a new name, a new title. It's saints. Saints. So, you know, parents, this afternoon when you're about ready to yell out your kids, come here, you little saint. You know, just think in your mind, okay. Okay. And when you look at your spouse, a friend, or somebody, you know, it's something, you just want to, oh. God's holy people, Saints. Because I'm a child of God, completely forgiven, being called a saint holy, here's the incredible thing. I can't be separated from God's love. Isn't that awesome? Look at the person next to you and say, you can't be separated from God's love. Tell them right now, just tell them. You can't be separated. Oh yeah. Because when we're in trouble, when we're struggling, when we're upset, when we're dealing with difficult situations, we feel like we're separated from God's love, right? God, Why me? God, why my family? God, why why my cousin? Why my dad? Why this? Why me? I don't feel like I've got God's love anywhere near me right now. I feel like I'm completely separated from it. Guess what? That's a lie. As God's adopted child, forgiven, rescued, a saint, you cannot be separated from God's love. Romans 8, 35 to 39, let's turn there. Go back towards the beginning of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, chapter 8. Romans 8. I read this scripture, and I read it a lot. Starting in verse 35. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Let me hear you say no. No. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble? or calamity, or we're persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened to death? No. Can any of that separate us from God's love? Can cancer separate us from God's love? No. Can the flu separate us from God's love? No. Can homelessness, can hunger separate us from God's love? No. It says, For Scripture says, for your sake we're killed every day, being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us, who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears about today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Not the powers in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ our Lord. See, I am now free from the grip of sin. I have new power to live for, God living in me. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self was crucified with Christ. I no longer live. It is Christ who lives me in me. Let me hear you say, Christ lives in me. So I live now in this earthly body by trusting Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. I have new power to live for God because Christ lives in me. Not only that, you know what God does with us when we surrender our lives to him? He takes out that Old, stubborn, stony heart of ours and just replaces it. Pretty cool. Ezekiel chapter 36, 26 says this. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. We've all had heart transplants. Isn't that amazing? So if you know somebody that's had a heart transplant, they've actually probably had two. And you've had one even though you didn't realize it. When you got on your knees and confessed your sins to a holy God and asked him to forgive you of your sins, not only did God's spirit come in you, he gave you a heart transplant. He gave you a new heart. I have a new identity. I'm a child of God. I'm not Pastor Rex Stump. I'm not Area Director Rex Stump. I'm not Mr. Stump. I'm a child of God. Those are all names to help describe who I am. I get that but you want to know who I am? I'm a child of God. When you look on the front of your bulletins, there's a verse there. John chapter 1, verse 12. That'd be the next verse I'd tell you to turn, so you can turn there in your Bible or you can look at the front of your bulletin. But it says, Yet yeah, to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's Christmas time. At Christmas time, a lot of us got to receive things. To receive means to take, to choose, That also means to admit, not to reject. Oh, no, I can't take that. No, I can't take that. No, you don't receive it. Receive it. Yet to all who receive, accept, take, choose Jesus Christ. Believe in his name. He gives the right now to become children of God. You're a child of God. I am these things and so much more. And I wanted to share this message with you because when you realize, when I realize who we are in Jesus Christ. When we get it, when we believe it, when we then accept it, we can go live it. You know, in the movie again, Scott Calvin realized that his new identity was real. Once he got it, he started living like Santa Claus. He started having fun. When you get it, who you are as a Christian, as a child of God, it's amazing how you can then live. When I realize I'm a child of God, forgiven, loved, is saint, I will live like a child of God. Again, I'm not just a pastor or a Baptist or Mennonite or missionary or whatever. I, title's label's not my identity. If you have a relationship in here this morning with Jesus Christ, you're a Christian. You've asked for forgiveness. You've asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. It's time for us to start realizing that living that way. And one way to live for Jesus Christ as a child of God is what I sort of covered the last three weeks, by expecting, by celebrating, by giving. The past few weeks, I've reminded you that Christmas is living with expectation and hope. Christmas is living with celebration and joy. Christmas is living with giving and love. Christmas is living with peace. And you get to put all that into application. See, we have hope. As a child of God... I trust that Jesus is coming back someday. Some days it's like, come anytime, God. I'm ready. There's other days like, I hope it's not today because I really like to do this. That's the selfish part of me, okay? But deep down, anytime Jesus wants to come back, bring it. Because it's going to be so much better than where we're at right now. As a child of God, I trust he's coming back. And as a child of God, we have love. I know that nothing can separate me from God's love. Isn't that cool? So the next time you mess up or you're doubting where you're at, nothing can separate it from His love. And His Spirit lives in you. Guess what? So that means His love lives in you. If the Spirit of God lives in you and He is love, then love lives within you, so isn't it much easier to think about how it's, you can go love others now? One evening, just before uh, the great Broadway musical, South Pacific, the actress, the singer, the musical star, Mary Martin, was going to go on stage, and she was sort of backstage. And somebody came in, and they handed a note to her. It was from Oscar Hammerstein. He was the show's lyricist, and he basically was at the moment on his deathbed. And he'd written a note to Mary, who's about ready to go on stage, and sort of knowing this was my production, and I hope she does well. And this is what the note read Dear Mary, a bell's not a bell till you ring it. A song's not a song till you sing it. Love in your heart is not put there to stay. Love isn't love till you give it away. After her performance that night, people rushed backstage to see Mary, and they were all saying the same thing. Mary, what happened to you out there tonight? It was incredible. We've never seen anything like that before. You were, it was just amazing. What inspired you? What happened? Bleaking back the tears, Mary read that note to them. And then she said this, Tonight, I gave my love away. I lived it out. See, God gave His love away to us so that now we can give that love away to others. It's a little hard to do it if you don't know who you are in Christ. But once you know your identity in Jesus Christ, you can go live it out. You can go love in a way you've never loved before. I heard this illustration of love, and you've maybe heard this story too. Donald Gray Barnhouse, he's a writer and a pastor. He once shared this illustration of love. It says about a little boy um, who was told by his doctor, he said, son, you could help save your sister's life. She's really sick. Uh, You can help save her life if you give her some of your blood. Now, the six-year-old girl was near death. She's a victim of a disease that actually her her brother had actually survived the same disease. Um, Miraculously recovered from it two years earlier. And her only chance of surviving was a blood transfusion. And that blood transfusion had to come from somebody who had previously conquered the same illness. So they went to her little brother or her brother and uh, said, you're the best candidate. You both have uh, different or I should say rare blood types you're the perfect candidate. So the doctor asked, you know, obviously the parents first, and asked the boy, will you give your blood for Mary? And the boy hesitated. His lower lip sort of trembled, thinking it through, giving it my blood for my sister. He said, sure, I'll give my blood for my sister after a little bit of hesitation. So soon the two children were wheeled into the hospital room, prepped for surgery, or for get ready, and uh, Mary, she was pale and thin, laying on the table, and then here's his name, his name was Johnny. It's always Johnny, isn't it? Um, His name is Johnny. Anyway, so he's on the table, and he's got this robust and fine-looking body, and and there's Mary, and you sort of look at the two, and they, um, they, their eyes met. He sort of looked at her, and sort of grinned, and she looked over, and you know, again, very weak, and so they hooked up everything for the blood transfusion, and the blood siphoned into Mary's veins, and they said, you could almost see her body transform, as that new blood went into her life. And the ordeal was nearly over when Johnny's voice sort of broke the silence. And he said, say, Doc, when do I die? And uh, only then did the doctor realize at that, that moment of hesitation back when his lip was trembling earlier when he asked the question, he finally got it. See, Johnny thought that giving up his blood in this blood transfusion to his sister meant he was going to take all of his blood, and he was going to die. He thought he was giving up his life for his sister, but he was willing to do it, and that is love. What a loving decision! And that's what Christ did for us. His love expressed, his blood shed for us, his blood given to us, so we could be adopted into His family, so we could find forgiveness from a holy God, so that we could have a new title, saint, forgiven. Loved. Nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing. No matter what you've done in your life, can't separate you from God's love. And now that love, as you've confessed in your heart to a holy God and asked for forgiveness and asked Him to come into your life to be a Savior, that Savior lives in you so that you can love in a way that you can't love on your own. Only by the power of mighty God working through you can you love the way we need to love get it receive it go live it that's your identity I want you to know your identity if you don't know who you are spiritually this morning I hope and pray that that has been laid out now if you've never asked Christ into your life if you've never asked for forgiveness if you've never said God I have messed up in my life forgive me Come into my life. Be the Savior of my life. I believe in you. I trust you. Now's the time. Do it. Live out your new identity. As we get going in January in this next sermon series, I'm excited about talking about how we live out this new identity in Christ. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You're an awesome and mighty God. I thank you, Lord, that we can worship you. I thank you, Lord, that we can gather here as a church family. Lord, sometimes we get really confused about who we are. We might call ourselves one thing and then we go live another way. And even sometimes as I'm watching on TV or reading a newspaper or in a magazine or somewhere on social media, there was somebody who claimed they were a Christian, but yet they were living like the devil. They really confused me. I thought their identity was what what they called themselves, but so Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. We've been able to just look into your Word and see what it means to be identified with you and your Son. To find out who we are, we are your children, adopted into an incredible family, forgiven, loved, called saints. And now, Lord, if we get it and we believe that, Lord, we we want to receive that. We want to go live it. So God, if there's somebody here this morning that needs to confess, Lord, I pray right now that they confess to you. And for those of us in here that maybe we've already, we've already done this, we already believe all this, maybe now's a good time just to think, all right, God, where did I mess up this week? I need to get things right with you. We can pray that to you right now. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the things we've done that have really offended you and hurt others. Lord, we believe in you. We trust you to be our Savior. We know, Lord, that nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, help us now as we get it and believe it. Help us go live it. Help us live out this new identity in you. Lord, we love you and thank you for this day. In my precious name,